And now, proper propaganda. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Jack. And my name is Quinton Ward. Indeed. And what we're doing today is talking about um, eroding support for the BLM movement. Um, so definitely stick around for that. Our way black history fact, we're going to talk about um, the author, Alexander Dumas. Um, I have an interesting story behind that um, that I'm excited to share as well. And um, I've been doing a lot of movie watching. And so I spent some time watching the movie Django recently. Um, I had to watch it in two parts because it's a pretty long movie. But um, just a neat story to go along with that as well. But first, what we're going to talk about is our Baba segment. And so let's get into that right now. Um, Baba, becoming a better ally. So uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago on the show, we had some women up. Uh, they were Arizona State University students. Um, they were in a video that was seen almost six million times. Um, very much viral video and these women were confronting some these these were black women uh, two two or three black women and one Pakistani woman um, and they confronted two white males on the campus of Arizona State University at the multicultural uh, center a center that the women fought to create so that they could have a place to study free of you know oppressive systems and you know the world that they see it i'm not a student at arizona state so i won't state their brief but um we invited them up to you know share the story behind the video that we saw i implore you to go back a couple episodes and check it out uh you can find it on civiccipher.com um well arizona state university wanted to take some disciplinary disciplinary action against those women for standing up for themselves um obviously on this show we stand in solidarity with those women um you know the, the 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 males that came in did so with the intention of intimidating them it wasn't because they were white it's because they were bringing some anti-black paraphernalia into the space and displaying it in such a way that it was intimidating and behaving uh in a manner that was inconsistent with the the, the um promise of that space um well the disciplinary action has been reduced and in, in at least one instance eliminated because of a letter writing campaign. Um, they got over 3,500 letters sent to Arizona State University. And this is my way of saying that writing letters works. So if you have an opportunity to join a letter writing campaign for a cause that you believe in, I implore you to do so. Um, if you want to find out more about the story I just told, like I said, go back a couple episodes and uh, check out that um, Ver that uh, episode that we aired and plug in with the uh, the women on our, our social media. We follow them uh, on our Instagram it's at Civic Cipher uh, to follow that uh, story and, and find out how you can uh, offer them your support as well. Now, the uh, BLM movement 
first off, Q, how does this hit you? The eroding of the support for the BLM movement. So one thing that was always going to be true is that at some point, the flash bomb of support that BLM received um, in the midst of one of the most um, lightning struck, extremely polarizing years in our country's history, especially in our lifetime, was going to dwindle because Unfortunately, for the support to stay strong, the awful things that keep happening would have to get the same coverage, uh, the same amount of gas would have to be poured on those fires, and that just wasn't going to continue, right? Once, once video recording police killing black people didn't stop police from killing black people, one of two things was going to happen a violent revolt by black people, which the country seems to have been waiting for for its entire inception. Like they think at some point we are going to take up arms and try to overthrow the oppressors or people were gonna become numb to it and it was gonna become normalized and not have the same effect anymore. And because contrary to what they think, we are not barbaric and evil in nature. We are not seeking revenge, just justice. We do not want more than you, just the same. We do not want to replace you. We just want to be able to exist ourselves. Because the things that I'm saying are true and because the things that they try to uh, sell about us as a culture and as a people are not true, it's only human nature that the support would dwindle, right? Because we're going to either seem less or more upset about what we're dealing with. We can't get any more upset than we are, right? The only, like I said, the alternative would be for us to take arms and burn this down, excuse my language. And since we have not taken that approach, since it seems that we never will, because that is not our goal, unfortunately, and contrary to what people might think, Black people built are proud of and deserve to be happy citizens in this country. We should not have to destroy it or go back to Africa as we've been implored to do. For hundreds of years, we've been here. And because of the colonizing oppressors, I don't have any history with Africa. I have my ancestry results, but I have no idea where my people came from, what tribe, what region, what country. You know what I mean? So the support was always going to dwindle, bro. It was always going to be less. People were, people were always going to be less outraged as the thing that outraged us became more normal and we became more numb to it. The coverage gets less. The outrage is less. The support is less. It's a human nature experience. It's not even about Black Lives Matter in specific. The support for all causes has dwindled. When it's not October, less people are concentrating on breast cancer. When it's not February, less people are concentrating on black history, right? When it's not the time to pay specific attention to specific causes, the support dwindles. That's why people spend so much money 
to keep people's focus and attention and awareness on things that they want people to be supportive of because by nature, the support and the attention will dissolve in some way. So I'm glad you said that. Um, I think that that is a very easy and a very natural conclusion to draw. Um, and of course, it's absolutely right. This is something that we've seen. But I want to add a couple of other things to that and get your thoughts on that as well. But first, allow me to read this. Now, uh, for this, I um, consulted with NBC News for my notes here. <clears throat> According to a national poll conducted by Civics, a nonpartisan online survey firm affiliated with the progressive media group Daily Costs. Uh, 44% of respondents said they oppose the Black Lives Matter movement. Another 43% said they support it. That means 44% oppose it, 43% support it. While 11% said they neither support nor oppose. The survey has tracked respondents' viewpoints at multiple moments from April 2017 to this month. According to the poll, support for the Black Lives Matter movement peaked in June 2020 at 52%, a month after George Floyd was killed. While 82% of the respondents in support of Black Lives Matter is the most recent, uh, in the most recent poll, sorry, while 85 Sorry, while 82% of the respondents in support of Black Lives Matter in the most recent poll were black, more than half of those in opposition were white. Um, in other words, black people supported Black Lives Matter at a, rate, at a rate of 82%. White people opposed Black Lives Matter um, to the tune of over 50%. Uh, which reflects a pattern of public opinion when it comes to racial justice movements. Um, this was according to Vita Robinson, the director for the Center for Critical Race Studies at the University of Houston downtown. Robertson said, the findings reveal the historical phenomenon of the liberation struggles of Black Americans and civil rights movements from the Harlem Renaissance to the Black Power Movement. Uh, and I want to pull this quote from her. Uh, these polls are quite representative of America's approach, Robertson said. There is no historical evidence whatsoever that America has ever been interested in black liberation and building an equitable society. Um, we are simply coming to grips with our romantic ideas that are running up against our political realities. And the fact stands that America has constantly and will constantly struggle with the liberation of black bodies because we are endemically a racist society. Now, something that I wanted to add to your statement is a visibly, visible, well-defined, deliberate opposition to Black Lives Matter. You know, I was just talking about uh, the young women from Arizona State University uh, the, the, the white student, male student, one of the two white male students in the, in the video, if you want to check it out again, it's on our, our social media 
at Civic Cipher um, had a sticker on his laptop that said police lives matter. And that was part of what he was pointing toward the women who were studying there in, in attempts to intimidate them and harass them. Um, police lives matter is one of the things that grew in opposition to black lives matter, the same as all lives matter, you know, um, that flag thing wasn't popularized until 2020. You know what I mean? Um, critical race theory. I mean, there are people that send their children to school because they want their children to learn, but not that. And you, you, you can see how well this opposition, well-defined, very, very precise, it is white supremacy not to pick on it. It deserves to be picked on, but not to pick on it. Certain systems are built to preserve themselves, white supremacy being one of them. You know, we could talk about white capitalism. supremacy being the one, the one. Yeah. But we could talk about a lot of systems <laughs> that, you know, they, they, they're designed with self-preservation in mind. And that's why they continue to orbit on their own axis. You know, they continue to exist and continue to, you know, we could talk about a lot, a lot of things, but, you know, white supremacy um, empowers powerful people and compels them to retain all of the power and all of the money when you mix it with capitalism, you know? Um, and, you know, fortunately there is that 41% that still stands in support of Black Lives Matter. Um, and fortunately there's a good number of those folks who are white and, you know, perhaps- Not a good number nearly enough. Right. But that goes to show how effective these, I mean, it's easy to pick on Fox News because they make it so easy, but, you know, they're not the only ones. And what we, we don't have the same resources. I'm talking about black people specifically as a Fox News, as, you know, in terms of a way to challenge critical race theory uh, or challenge the opponents of critical race theory. But we do have this show. And we have people that listen to this show, people who are not black. You know, this is a this is a black show, but make no mistake. This is a black show for non-black people. You know, that's why you're listening to this show wherever you're listening to it. If you're if you're listening on the radio, um, we think that in spaces like this, we can create stronger and more empowered allies we, by sharing this information. We feel like you listening to, to Q&I's voice. <clears throat> um, uh, or sorry, mine and Q's voice uh, today will be able to take this information and understand what the path forward should be conceivably. We need to combat this active opposition to a statement that in theory should just be a statement of fact, but it's controversial somehow. Black Lives Matter. Because I believe a good amount of this erosion has come from right-wing media in the form of moderates who are, you know, 
obviously, if they see something, they're going to be upset by something like the George Floyd video. They're going to be upset by it. But, um, you know, if enough of these folks on the right get in their ear and say, you know, critical race theory is indoctrinating your children to hate themselves. What? In the world does that mean? You know, it doesn't teach anyone to hate themselves. It doesn't teach my children to pity themselves. It's the reality of the situation so that we don't repeat it anymore. But let the right people frame it the right way and get that message out. Then we end up with at least a piece of this, in my belief, um, erosion coming from that source. And what you, as a listener of this show and an ally to, to black and brown and indigenous and any marginalized people, and you as a person who wants to bring a little bit of balance to the to the universe and and to follow the moral arc of of this existence um you the listener can combat this by having conversations about this because that's a lot more powerful than fox news it's a lot more challenging as well but we want you to do that and we need you to do that we need you to know that this is a real thing we as q mentioned we knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to happen. And that's why we did, we did our best to capture the moment and do something with it. And our contribution to the, the moment that was 2020 um, has birthed this show. And for folks listening to us in Vermont and in, you know, in Florida and in California and you know, whatever state you're in um, or city you're in, listening to the, to our voices um hopefully our contribution will be these conversations that we're asking you to have we will have them and then we ask that you have them as well because the reality of the fact is that now there are less people in support of black lives mattering um and we are black lives that I, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm still going to be black. My children are going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to be black. And according to these numbers, it says most people would disagree with a statement suggesting that their lives matter. A life is a beating heart. You understand that? So uh, this is a reality that we knew about, as Q mentioned, we knew this. This doesn't hurt the way that it does when you're first figuring it out. I mean, I don't know if it ever really hurts. It's just a reality that you were born numb to and you're still numb to. It's sad. I know it, you know, and I, I do my best to, you know, encourage people and uplift people that I know are in similar predicaments. They might look like me. They might not, you know, um, but, you know, we have our own therapy sessions and you know, we, you know, I put little crowns under the Instagram photos and Facebook photos of little black kids and black men and whoever I see that might be able to use a little bit of brightness in their day to let them know that they're valuable and that they're special. And I noticed that and adopted that as well. And I'm sure you've noticed. Have um, you? Yeah. But something that you said that you said that we're born numb to it. And that part isn't true. Okay, so help me to help me say we're what born, I'm trying to say. We're born, we're born knowing that it's the truth. Okay, but the numbness isn't natural, mm. right? You've seen our kids play. 
Yeah, right, one of the aware. first videos that I've ever taken of Grayson. We were at Top Golf in Las Vegas. Uh, we went out to visit Grayson's uncle Nick. Um, shout out to Nick Bean. Bean and a little Asian girl from a couple bays down just ran down and gave Grayson a hug. Yeah. And there were no strange, weird, negative responses from this girl's parents. The parents of that baby thought it was just as amazing and precious as we did. Mm. And that's one of those moments where you realize or you're reminded that not everyone subscribes to that ignorance. Mm -hmm. But you're also reminded, but damn, a lot of people do. And there are parents who would have been terrified to see their child run down, their daughter run down and hug my black son. Yeah. And there will be a moment. I am certain that there will be a moment where either my son or his dad is going to be reminded that there are people who do not want their children to love, care about, play with, hug, kiss, or have any type of relationship or interaction with my black and Mexican son. Proof positive by the tens of millions of people that try to reelect a man whose entire base, foundation, and <laughs> campaign was run on stoking the fire of divisive racism in this country. Um, so you're, you're not born numb to it. Things happen that remind you that it's true and you somehow find yourself feeling stupid for being so naive as if to believe or think that we'd made some progress or that it had gone away or that it wasn't gonna be the case with you. So we know that it exists, but that numbness is developed and it's developed through disappointment and hurt and pain and anger and fear, right? We're the ones who are actually afraid initially. You know, we keep painting this picture where these cops are so afraid of us. They're not afraid. Like you said, they're shooting people in the back that are running away from them. That's not fear. That's hate. And our fear and anger at some point turns into numbness because we continue to perpetually experience the worst things that this country has to offer. And we still have to stand when they play that anthem with our hands and our hearts and be proud of it or get out and go back to our whole countries. <sighs> Well, you're not wrong. You're, you're, in fact, you're absolutely right. Um, but the good news is that there's always, um, so there's some people who are conspiracy theorists and I'm, I'm, I'm adopting the term, I'm a positivity theorist. I, you know, I just, I feel like we're going to get there. This is our journey. This is our journey. And this is our, this is our story, you know, for better or worse. And what we're going to do is appeal once again to everyone listening to our voice, continue to have challenging, difficult conversations to unindoctrinate those who have been indoctrinated to oppose very, very simple, logical, linear things. Um, and, you know, uh, spread love, man. Just, just spread love. It's, we, we need you to do that, please. Um, 
before we uh, move on, I wanted to uh, say the name, Philando Castile, who, um, if you listen to the first half of the show, um, was the uh, gentleman who was uh, shot in the front seat of his car by police after letting them know, explaining that he had a, a gun on his person and was filmed by his um, girlfriend. So uh, it's important to say his name and uh, wanted to make sure I got that in there. Moving on. Um, Alexander Dumas. All right. So I was watching uh, the movie The Harder They Fall recently. And it was such a good movie. And I recognized that it's kind of like the type of movie that you don't see very often, you know? Um, I mean, I, I know that, but Westerns, you know, I don't watch Westerns. So maybe it's just me, who knows? And then I got to thinking, wait a minute, Django is kind of like a Western. You know, it's it, in my memory at the time, it was it took place in the South, but Django was a cowboy, same as, you know, these guys and, you know, just an old timey Western flick. There's a bunch of horses and shotguns. So I'm like, let me revisit Django and see if um, I enjoy it in the same way that I enjoyed uh, Harder They Fall. And toward the end of the movie, something stood out to me. Um, so in the movie, there's a man named D'Artagnan. He's a slave. And Leonardo DiCaprio's character says um, that he wants to have his dogs rip D'Artagnan apart. Uh, D'Artagnan attempted to run away and that's what happens to him. The dogs eat him and tear him apart. Um, later in the film, uh, DiCaprio's character realizes that D'Artagnan was the name from one of Alexander Dumas's books, The Three Musketeers. Right? Um, and that book uh, was written by a black author. Right. So he read this book, obviously loved the character, named one of his slaves after a character in the book, and then found out that the author was 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 not a white person. The author was black and would not have approved of the way the D'Artagnan in the movie met his end. Um, and you can see him coming to terms with that, like, wow, I, I had no idea that black people could aspire to that. And if you see the film, for those who haven't seen it, if you see the film, you'll um see how it comes together because Leonardo DiCaprio's character did not think highly of black skinned people um, based on bogus science of the time that was not founded in any reality whatsoever um, but allowed folks at that period in this country's history to justify slavery that and the bible um, furthermore my older son uh, has to read the three musketeers for like a high school project he's working on, right? Which is a book by Alexander Dumas. And so in brief, I wanted to share a bit about Alexander Dumas for Our Way Black History Fact. Um, he was uh, born the 24th of July, 1802, and died December 5th, 1870. He was a French writer. His works have been translated into many languages, and he is one of the most widely read French authors. Many of his historical novels of high adventure were originally published as serials, including The Count of Monte Cristo, that's him, uh, The Three Musketeers, of course, 
20 years after and uh, 10 years later is another one. His novels have been adapted since the early 20th century into nearly 200 films. Prolific in several genres, Dumas began his career by writing plays which were successfully produced from the first. <clears throat> he also wrote numerous magazine articles and travel books. His published works totaled 100,000 pages. In the 1840s, Dumas founded the Theater Historique in Paris. His father, General Thomas Alexander Dumas Davy de la Palietere, was born in the French colony of Saint-Domingue, present-day Haiti. Um, and uh, he was born to Alexander and Antoine David de la Pierre, a French nobleman, and Marie Cesset Dumas, an African slave. Whew, sorry, these names. Dumas died on December 5th, 1870. At his son's home in Puy's, France, he was buried in the cemetery of Villers-Cotrets. In 2002, his body was moved to the Pantheon in Paris, where Dumas rests, among other such French literary greats, like his rival Victor, Victor Hugo, uh, Emile Zola, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Alexandre Dumas will finally take his place beside Victor Hugo and Emile Zola, his brothers in literature, said present. President Jacques Chirac, with you, it is childhood, hours of reading, relished in secret, emotion, passion, adventure, panache, that enter the Pantheon. With you, we dreamed. With you, we still dream. Um, and uh, I thought it was important to celebrate that because, or to discuss that, because um, A lot of times we we associate literature with white faces, especially literature like this. You know, think Shakespeare, you know, um, think, you know, whatever it is that comes to mind. You know, when you think of like a literary great, a lot of times you don't imagine there being a black face. And especially when the adaptations of those literary uh, works are play out cast, the way that they have. If you ever see the Three Musketeers people. or the Count Monte Crisco. Right. The actors, the characters, everyone in the story is white. So who right. would ever think that the creator of such stories looked like us? Right. Um, and so sharing that beyond just a little fun fact in a movie that you might have picked up, um, I thought that was important. Uh, representation matters. You know, our, our uh, Ebony Excellence today, we talked about um, Aaron Jackson from Florida becoming the first uh, black woman to win the 500 meter world cup title um and you know i and a lot of the firsts you know across the board you know representation matters and obviously um alexander dumas is not the first black writer the first black literary great but certainly one who has maybe not deliberately been whitewashed, but just as a result of film adaptations and things like that, you know, that part of his story has never really made it. Like he himself as the author, that has never really made it into um, our shared public consciousness. The, the author of Ramos, the Count of Monte Cristo. You are so man. gracious. You are so gracious and kind and charitable. 
the idea that he was not deliberately whitewashed? I said, perhaps not. I didn't know that until today. Well, that's why we have a show like this. And that's so why we're so not deliberately is laughable. Okay. Of course, it's deliberate. Perhaps. But the point is that we do have a place where we're able to celebrate um, him as an author. Uh, and we're able to write our own stories, tell our own stories. And I think that that's exceptionally important. And I'm glad that we had a chance to do it. And we're obviously very glad that you, our listener, has uh, blessed us with your time. So um, with that said, we're going to end it right here. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I am his co-host, Quentin Ward. And uh, be sure to hit the website, civiccypher.com, to download this and any previous episodes. Follow us on social media at civiccypher. And please consider making a donation. It definitely helps the show grow. And we are growing because of you. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated showing you where rhyme travel is. Worlds is between from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfight saloons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists were journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda What's happening?